everyone. Welcome to Conversation Peace with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where my guests and I discuss what piece of the conversation we aren't talking about but should be. Special shout out to all of my returning listeners and a high five and hello to everyone joining us for the very first time. Thank you very much. The month of May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, or APAM, and it's meant to celebrate and reflect on the history and peoples that make up our beautiful communities. As part of that reflection, this month, I'll be sharing nine conversations with friends and folks I greatly admire in the community as we discuss those missing pieces of the Asian American conversation, what we know, what we might not know, and what we can do about it. These are the APAM conversations. My guest today is half black, half Korean, adopted, a husband, father, and he's learning more about himself as he goes. It is an honor and privilege to welcome Rick Allen to the show. Hey, Rick. Hello. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be here. You are very welcome. It is a privilege and honor of mine. Um, for those who may not know, Rick has been a guest on our other show, The John Chi Show, and I've had the pleasure of meeting Rick out in Seoul uh, when I was there last October. And something that I realized in Seoul was just how much people like to listen to Rick's story. Uh, Rick is an amazing storyteller, and it is, I love every single time we get to have a conversation, man. So I'm super excited to have you be a part of this series. Um, gave you a little bit of an introduction, but for those listeners who may not know you, uh, can you tell us just a little bit more about yourself? Uh, yeah. Um, as you said, I am uh, half Korean. Uh, I am a Korean adoptee born in Incheon, South Korea. Uh, spent most of my life living in Northern Virginia, uh, around the D.C. area. And yes, I uh, I am married. I am the uh, father of a 20-month-old. 20-month-old little girl. Uh, and uh, yeah, we live in Seoul now. Uh, we'll be here for the next four-ish years. Very, very exciting. Anything in particular you're doing out in Seoul besides being a dad? Uh, I am like eating everything I can get my hands on. And I mean, I'm still, I still have a lot to explore. Uh, the city is, uh, is quite big and there's, you know, so many little alleys, nooks and crannies to explore, so many things to eat and drink um <laughs> i'm doing the best that i can but a man's liver is only so strong so sometimes <laughs> i have to dial it down i mean when you're only drinking cast and not drinking tarot that usually is what happens i think <laughs> um it, it's very exciting to have you here especially it's 10 o'clock at night over in korea so i uh, don't want to waste too much of your time um with the preamble so just want to dive right into the conversation and i think you're going to be able to bring a unique perspective especially now that you've been outside of the country outside of the united states for a little bit um like i said at the top of the show the whole reason for this series is to address the pieces or parts of the conversation around asian america that we think we should be talking about but aren't right now what part or piece of that conversation do you think that we need to be focusing a little bit more on? Uh, well, I think when it comes to uh, Heritage Month specifically, right, um, it's very easy for us to get caught up in uh, the, the stories of, you know, people who are, who are Chinese-American, Japanese-American, Korean-American, obviously. Um, but like, you know, uh, South Asia, uh, points West are also Asia. And I feel like, uh, I don't know how we go about, you know, making sure that they are also a focus, but, um, it's, it's very easy to forget that like India is also Asia. Uh, and you know, we need to make space however we can for those folks also. 
because you know just because they're not thought of as as Asian necessarily uh, the first uh, off the tip of your tongue, um, they do count. A hundred percent. And I think for you and I, especially, I think it's easy to go or not easy, but I think that's a prominent thing in our minds because we can feel a similar feeling of maybe not being recognized as Asian for having been Mm -hmm. adopted. And for you, especially being mixed race, uh, Asian and adopted, do you feel like you, I mean, have you, do you feel like you have been finding your way into that space around Asian America, into that conversation? Do you feel like your experience has been missing as well? Uh, here, here and there. It's, it's hard because, you know, being like a lot of the half Koreans that I know, um, have, were raised by, a a, a Korean parent. Right. Mm. And so they have, uh, uh, the, that side of culture most of the time. And, you know, I, I, I don't really have that and all that stuff I've, I've, I've learned on my own. So from, from like a storytelling perspective, it can be difficult for me to wade my way in because I don't have the same sort of experiences as others do. Um, Hmm. but I also think that, I mean, a a lot of, I guess, traction for better, for lack of a better word that I've gained has been because uh, I am a Korean adoptee and like other adoptees and Korean adoptees specifically, like don't care that I'm only 50%. Um, and so I guess it's a little, it's a little both where, you know, sometimes I'm kind of like fighting a little bit for, uh, uh I don't know, credibility. Uh, and then, <laughs> and, then, and then other times it, I, I, it comes easily. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've heard some people talk about themselves as being like a hundred percent black, a hundred percent Chinese. Is that something that, you can resonate with or i feel like i i'm if i had to divide myself up (laughs) it's like it's like i'm it's probably closer to like like two-thirds and one-third at least from a cultural cultural perspective because my parents uh my parents are black and um i wasn't i never found myself to be like wanting for black culture at least like in the dc mm. area right but then you know from a korean perspective i've over the past few years becoming more and more korean and so uh <laughs> it, it, i wouldn't quite say it's a it's like a 50 50 split i mean i i understand that perspective right where it's sure. very difficult to you know you're not like pieces of a pie and you can't actually divide yourself up but it's it's also it, it just feels like i have some ways to go before i can you know really say uh, I'm like what I'm just like black and Korean. There are no numbers involved, uh, no equations. It's that's just who I am. I, I, I'm, I think the longer I'm here, the the more I'll, the closer to that I'll feel. Um, I like we're it. not, we're not there yet. I like no numbers involved, no equations. I think that's a great way to describe it because I think we can get, like you said, we can get hung up a lot of times on those numbers or percentages and then we can, put some self-limiting beliefs on ourselves, like, okay, we'll never make it or, or that the journey is kind of less significant than the end point, essentially, mm. where you are wanting to get to this, this place, but you may not ever get there. And then you, then you see yourself always looking ahead instead of being able to like work on or, or, or develop yourself during that period of where you would be reaching towards the end. Yeah. I, I gotta, I, I want to, especially you know we've we've been here i don't know what eight months maybe something like that and 
I, I want to continue to sort of live in the moment and not think too much about like acquiring, um, all these like sort of cultural landmarks that I feel I need, uh, and just enjoy the life that we have, uh, the life I'm living and, uh, let things happen as they will. I a hundred percent agree. I think that's something I've been working on a lot too, is like, let's say present in this moment in this life that we have. And cause it's easy to get caught up in the what if. And a lot of times we get put in that position by other people who may have good intentions, may not have good intentions, or may just be unaware of kind of the way questions or conversations can make a certain person feel. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I think that's a very interesting thing. Um, When it comes to recognizing that, Asian specifically is very broad and encompasses more than just East Asia. I know you said like, we don't, we don't necessarily know or have the solutions yet, but from like an internal perspective, how do we address that from the Asian, Asian American community specifically going outward? Like how do we address making sure that we are seeing South Asians, Southeast Asians, other people who make up the diaspora and not as maybe East Asians trying to take up too much of that space. So I, there was a, there was a story. I, I, like I, I felt like when I was, when I was thinking of like answers to these questions, right. I was like, there's gotta be, there's gotta be like some sort of um, like someone must've written at some point, right. Like this is like, these are like the numbers, the statistics behind like uh because there there are like inequities in in like certain minorities uh and within certain minorities in the US when when it comes to like income and um like benefits like social benefits they receive right mm. and there was like an NBC news article about this specifically when it came to the Asian community and now I'm going to have to go and find it um <laughs> but where you know the, like the you, like uh, for example like Burmese people very small um, segment of the population, but also like severely disadvantaged in comparison right. to like, and I think we, we have to, we have to, we have to teach our, we have to teach ourselves. We have to have like a thirst for the knowledge to not take for granted. Cause like I, speaking again of like people from Burma, I don't know anybody knowingly who is from there. And so sure. how am I going to find out? like learn anything about like their situation unless, unless I desire to do it myself. Um, and then I have to actually like go out and, 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 and do that. Um, and I mean, I think that during the month of May is like a great opportunity to teach ourselves a little bit more about, about, uh, other segments of Asian population in the U S. Um, because like, this is probably the time when most people are paying the most attention. A hundred percent. And I like, I like what you said, like our, an opportunity to teach ourselves like may is, and then like, that has to be something that we have to be willing to do. I think, um, it's easy to just go about your day and not necessarily pay too much thought to it. Um, I'm thinking about the national Asian women or wait, National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, who just released their 2023 data about the wage gap for women, for Asian 
women and disaggregate that data. So instead of it just looking like, okay, all Asian women are pretty close to that dollar line for every dollar that a white man makes. Right. When you look at it, it's like, okay, maybe three groups are close to that. And then there's like 30 groups who <laughs> are not anywhere near. And I think Burmese people are, you know, one of the lowest on that on that uh, chart. I think it might be like 61 cents to the dollar. Like that's a huge problem. And if we don't, yeah. not only do, if we don't have people outside of our communities address it, but if we're not addressing that, if we're not aware of that, you know, it makes it a lot more difficult for us to then advocate or yeah. support those groups and fighting for whatever it is that they might be fighting for at the time, because we just don't have the, we just don't know. We just don't have that knowledge and we have to put it higher on the, our priority list, I think yeah. in terms of how we go about doing the things that we do, because at the end of the day, we are all, we all make up part of a, a huge diaspora, a huge population. And the more we build empathy with ourselves amongst our own groups, you know, not even just the ethnic diversity, but like people with disabilities, people who are adopted, people who go through th these different things, people who are refugees. Like yes. we think about all of these other identifiers that we don't necessarily always put on a list or we see on the bio card. And, you know, if we're building empathy and solidarity amongst our own groups, ethnically, we can start to do that. And we have a better idea of how to go about doing that for even more marginalized identities that we're not thinking about. Yeah. Um, speaking of building that solidarity, I think outside of like, we have work to do on the inside. Obviously, when it comes to like this type of question, there's work to be done on the outside as well. So yes, for folks who are not part of our community, how do they go about supporting us and and and, and finding themselves taking part in this part of the conversation that we're missing as well. I don't know. It's like the, the more, so I've, I've, the more I've become vocal about uh, the difficulties and struggles to like adoptees uh, face, whether it be uh, transracial adoptees or just like adoptees in America, um, I feel like the more I, I like sort of hammer at it, the, the more, the like more of a difference it's making. Right. And people who, um, I never thought, uh, had like any real interest in, in learning more about like the plight of adoptees, um, have, you know, sent me messages, uh, you know, thanking me for like putting it out there. And, you know, they didn't realize that this is like, uh, these various things uh, within the adoptee sphere are a problem. And that's that building like allyship is mm. like this is is like the key to more people because like it, it's very easy to uh, be comfortable in our like little bubble right where right like, adoptees you know I he, like all the people talking about the ad adoptees uh, or most of the people talking about adoptees are also adoptees. Mm. And, you know, I read a lot about this stuff because I follow a lot about adoptees uh, on on Twitter and on Instagram. But then, you know, when we start to really sort of accidentally reach outside and other people who follow us for other reasons see uh, stories and perspectives that they perhaps didn't even realize that they were looking for, like 
then they we have like a wider net that we're working with. Um, and so I feel like I just need to like the, the, the more, I mean, not hammering at it, but like the more I talk about it, uh, the more people outside of just like my adoptee circle will learn and perhaps then, you know, they go a little bit further and, you know, who are these other voices I should be listening to? Right. Um, so it's, it's, it starts small and it starts with us. Uh, and we just have to find ways to reach out and grow from there. You are speaking my language in your form. You wrote, how do we get outside of this echo chamber? And I like, I love that because I feel like I've been having that conversation a lot lately, especially about in the adoptee community specifically. It's like, we can have conversations with each other. We should. It's really important for us to be able to do that, especially for adoptees who are coming into their own awareness. However, the, or, and I guess not, however, and we also have to be able to step outside of that comfort zone and have those conversations with people outside of our specific community in order to like build that empathy. You said that sometimes like for you, like it like can be accidentally stepping outside of the thing. Can you talk about, or can you share a little bit about what that might look like for you while you accidentally kind of get out of there uh, when you're really just only having that conversation within the community, how that can kind of make its way out? Yeah, it's, I mean, people who I've, people who I, who I know in real life or, have, you know, because like I'm, I'm a big soccer fan, right? So I have like a segment mm. of my social media bubble is like <laughs> soccer people. And then, you know, I, I, I will start to notice like people in that sort of sphere start like liking some of my like adoption related stuff and then mm. commenting every now and again, you know, Hey, uh, I didn't realize, uh, that, you know, this is like a thing that happens. Um, I had friends who like were adopted and I just like never knew, uh, cause like on the surface, you know, everybody seems so like well adjusted or whatever. Right. Um, but then they have like a more of like a thirst for the information and I'm more than happy to like explain like why, you know, parts of the, uh, I don't, I don't even know the, the, <laughs> the large, like overarching, like adoption, like <laughs> the narrative. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking or... of like, sort of, like demonic, like things. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. gotcha. Okay, I get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. For the uh, listener at home, Rick is trying to with his hands uh, anthropomorphize or try to visualize what, what we're talking like about. Adoption yeah. in and of itself, right? Like, yes, yes, yes. This yes, is I like get a you. thing that affects adoptees like far beyond when they grow up and into adulthood, and you know, people go to therapy and like. Whereas, like a person who was born of their parents and grew up in with like a like a fully assembled family would have no idea and we yeah. have to we have to have some patience i think with people like this because they are the ones who talk about this to other people and you know, right. sometimes i don't have uh the desire to answer a bunch of questions about like my trauma but then other times i'm like this is this is helpful in the long run uh right. to to educating people who are not of our ilk. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, yeah, people who I never thought like, oh, I'm going to have a conversation with this person that I've known for however many years about this. Cause all we ever talk about is like soccer, but now here right. we are talking about like 
adoption and oh you know maybe this person was thinking about adoption but now they're not so sure because mm. of all the trauma that's attached in like all of our lives um so yeah, it's like a, maybe yeah I, I never thought like oh we will be talking about this but having to be willing to do it because it's someone who is actually interested for a reason and not just a curiosity right I think that, I mean, a lot of it has to do with being able to put that, set that boundary for yourself, you know, like, and knowing, and like with some folks, like in that group, in your, in your group of of soccer connections, your soccer friends, like you at some point knew that you would feel safe enough to like share Mm. with that person, some of your trauma. And I, I, I appreciate you saying like, I don't always want to share or like relive or rehash that trauma all the time. Because, and this is something else that I've been talking about a lot lately, is that not just for adoptees, but for anybody who's been like severely, not only marginalized, but traumatized, like I think it's super unfair that we have to ask those folks to tell their stories over and over again in order to get people in power and privilege to listen and be like, oh, yeah, that is a problem. Maybe we (laughs) should fund this solution or think about this differently or or draft and try and pass legislation that addresses this issue. Like we should not be asking people (laughs) to be like, Hey, I know that you had a, like a, a, just a real traumatic experience. Could you talk about that over and over again? Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's not like, it's just wild to think that we should, that somebody should have to do that. And I think a lot of it goes back to this privilege of storytelling and the fact that it's a privilege for anybody to tell you anything about their lives. And that we take that for granted a lot. Like we expect or or feel entitled to someone's story a lot of the time, I think. And we don't, th- and a lot of us, a lot of times we might not be thinking about the trauma that it, or, or the discomfort that it might take or be causing that person that we're asking, hey, just tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. You know, pushing yeah, without right. really thinking about the consequences, whether our intentions were good or not. So I appreciate you sharing that because I think it's important to name. As we kind of start to come down on the other side of this interview, um, I appreciate, you know, these action items that you give. I think they all, for both inside the community and out, I think they can all be kind of bundled together as just like listen to each other, make opportunities for to be able to learn more about the different parts of Asian America as opposed to just staying in that comfort zone, staying in that same bubble, um, both inside the diaspora and outside. For you specifically, right now, who is inspiring you? Who is somebody that you're like, yes, I'm learning so much, or I love this person, um, and you think we should all be listening or following or, or learning from them as well? Well, I I am consistently learning from Liz Kleinrock in like ways that I never thought I would. Uh, <laughs> yes, because <laughs> like when I started, when I first started following her, uh, it was like on an adoptee level, but she mm. is constantly like sharing her perspective which is like frequently enlightening and makes it makes me think it makes my brain sort of twist and 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 consider things from a slant that i that i hadn't previously sure um another person that is is very recent um her name is mija uh she has like a normal instagram but she's returned to jung she mm. is a half korean uh child of a korean adoptee yeah, um, and she's coming at it f- uh, from a lot of different angles, but one that I never have really focused on is like a historical one, mm. uh, as pertains to 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 Korea. And like I'm 
I'm, I've only recently just like met her acquaintance, but I'm, 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 when she is, is coming up with, uh, or sort of like re gramming, uh, like other accounts and, and stories, like it, it's like a focus that I didn't really know I needed. <laughs> sure. Uh, it, well, it, I mean, as a father, yeah. you know, you have a child who is a, now a child of a Korean adoptee. So yes. it makes yeah, sense. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, she's like her stories pretty deep and um I, I it's i never i didn't think like i i needed to consider like that angle but i mean it's sort of like a this the struggle that i face as a half korean adoptee uh who like a half korean who didn't grow up with like korean culture mm. uh and now like the culture that i'm learning i'm going to be passing along and so I gotta sure. make sure it's, I gotta make sure it's right, you know, like it's and and having it historically accurate is is like a big deal. Yeah, that's I mean that is definitely an angle I haven't really ever thought about, especially thinking about how do we pass down our histories that we never got to our children who look like us and also have <laughs> a piece of that history, like are also a part of that history, like. I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, honestly, that was the whole impetus for me going on my own personal journey was just how can I how how am I going to teach my kids to be Asian to navigate mm. the world as Asian when I don't have any idea about <laughs> how still, to do that? I'm still learning how to be how to be Asian. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I like I really enjoy following her account. Haven't had outside of some DMs. Haven't really spoken with her like in depth at all. But she just posted. I think it might have been yesterday as of this recording um, about like intergenerational trauma and oh. like the three levels. And I really liked the breakdown of that. And yeah, I think it's important to approach it from that historical perspective because, you know, we have to, we have to go get it ourselves. Like that's yeah. the unfortunate thing. We don't have the conduit of a parent or a grandparent or even just being in the community like and that's a whole thing in and of itself like if you were to be orphaned in korea then not get adopted internationally or even domestically then grow up and age out of the foster care system like you still kind of get the history yeah. like that like that like that ethnic or racial history You're living it but it's i mean it's still a whole nother experience obviously but you know it's just it's so interesting and so i appreciate her and other folks who are of like this identity that we don't even really talk about yet because it's like so unexplored. I think, um, I believe adoption mosaic, the, the, um, the organization adoption mosaic is doing a panel soon that addresses something like this, like children of adoptees. So I'd be interested to see that, but that's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, Rick, it's been a pleasure having you on as we wind this down. As I said before, Last question. Actually, I have two questions. Um, two more questions. The second to last question is a lot of people feel a lot of different types of ways about heritage months, specifically myself included. I've wrote a lot about it. Um, I don't think it matters one way or the other, uh, how you feel about it, but just wanted to ask everyone if they feel comfortable enough. Like, do you celebrate APAM? Do you celebrate Asian Pacific American heritage month? And if you feel comfortable enough to explain why I would love to hear a little bit about that. I do, but I, it's, I feel like I feel about this, this sort of the same way I do about uh, African American heritage month uh, February. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's just like we yes, it's 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 a it's great because uh, it gives 
people an opportunity to tell stories and sort of an excuse for other people to listen. Mm. Um, but this is something that we have a duty to continue to do in all the other months. Right. Um, because it's to, to, to continue is to, to normalize. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, one should not feel like, Oh, well, you know, now that it's the 28th day of February, uh, that's nice, but you know, it's over. Right. Um, it's, it's like a, it's a continuous, uh, obligation, um, that we have, I think, um, outside of, yeah, yes, to participate, um, because other people are listening. Um, but also once the month is over, that's not where the duty stops. A hundred percent. I love that. And I think you came up with a great tag to continue is to normalize. I think we need to think about that, especially coming out of those months and realize that, you know, the more that we continue to talk about this, the more importance and significance it takes on. And the more that it becomes enmeshed and ingrained in our societal fabric, I think where we all are more aware and more mindful, hopefully, um, right now that seems like there's an attack on that <laughs> being mindful and learning about stuff that we should be learning about, but whatever, that's a conversation <laughs> for another day. Yeah. Um, Rick, again, absolute pleasure to have you on last question. How do we support you? How, is there any ways that we can support you right now? I realize that a lot of us listening are probably in the States and you're over in Korea. So it's a little bit hard physically to come up and, yeah. and, and support, but is there anything that we can do to support you right now? Uh, I mean, I guess, uh, <laughs> follow me on Instagram, but he says, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and I, I'm actually, I've, uh, to do some production work, but I filmed some stuff for a YouTube channel. Okay. Uh, um, it's been a while, uh, but you know, since since I got here, a lot of stuff has happened. Um, so I'm, I'm putting some stuff together. Um, hopefully, uh, by the end of the month, I'll have it out, and uh, we'll. And so, yes, you can follow Hidden Hangugin <laughs> on on YouTube. Blazin uh, says on Instagram. Uh, and we can continue the conversations there. Absolutely. You heard it here, folks. Um, Rick, thank you again. Really, really appreciate your time, energy, your story, and for just sitting down and having this conversation and being a part of this series, the APM Conversations. For everybody listening, you can find all of the links at Blazion Says. You can find his Instagram stuff. You can find the YouTube channel in the show notes here. And if you want to follow and follow us, you can do that at Conversation Pod Piece on Instagram. If you feel so inclined to leave a rating or review on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on, we would greatly appreciate it. And if you're interested in supporting the show in the future, feel free to hop in my DMs or visit my website, patrickintheworld.me. Until next time, I'm Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Thank you.